Welcome to Senior Living Visionaries, a podcast for senior living leaders who are looking to stay ahead of the curve in the industry. On this show, we feature leaders and innovators in senior living who are pushing the boundaries and creating new, effective services and solutions. And now, let's settle in as host Jennifer Drago connects us with today's guests. Welcome to Senior Living Visionaries, a podcast for senior living leaders who are looking to stay ahead of the curve in the industry. On this show, we feature leaders and innovators in senior living who are pushing the boundaries and creating new, effective services and solutions. And now, let's settle in as host Jennifer Drago connects us with today's guests. Welcome to Senior Living Visionaries where we showcase the leaders and innovators in the field of senior living who are shaping our future. I'm your host, Jennifer Drago, Strategy Consultant and CEO of Peak to Profit. I'm really excited today that our guest is Mary Munoz, who is from Ziegler. She's a Senior Managing Director. And one of the things that we're going to talk about today, the big topic is going to be the viability, uh, boosting the viability and of our senior living industry and senior living providers. And Mary does a lot of work around this, um, and so she's got great insights to share with us. She joined the senior living team at Ziegler in 1999, and she manages the western region of Ziegler's senior living practice. She works with a broad variety of senior living communities and multi-facility systems in strategic planning for growth as well as creative financing strategies. She has extensive experience with startup CCRC projects, campus expansions and redevelopments, and refinancings. She also specializes in financing senior living mergers and acquisitions and in strategic and capital planning consulting services. Mary's senior living bond transactions since joining Ziegler total over $8.5 billion plus, plus in Paramount. Um, prior to joining Ziegler, Mary spent 12 years in a variety of healthcare lending and corporate finance roles. Immediately pr prior to joining, oh my goodness, immediately prior to joining Ziegler, she was the managing director in KPMG's health ventures practice. Uh, you're a, she's a frequent speaker. I, that's uh, this presentation, this top whole topic that we're going to talk about today came from a um, state association conference. But you're a frequent speaker at state and national conferences on a wide variety of senior living topics, and you've published a num numerous articles on senior living finance and credit topics. You have a BA and an MBA from Emory University and you hold a number of financial licenses, Series 7, 66, 53, and 24, which I don't know what that means, but it might mean something to somebody. So welcome, Mary. Thank you, Jennifer. It's so great to be with you today and uh, share some information. We're all about helping folks be more profitable and successful in the senior living industry, and uh, a rising tide lifts all boats, right? So uh, it'll be great to talk about that. For those of you who may not know Ziegler, we're a boutique investment bank based in Chicago, and we serve senior living, healthcare, charter schools, higher education, uh, K through 12, and we have a general corporate finance practice uh, in the muni space, as well as uh, for-profit healthcare and senior living corporate finance practices that do mergers and acquisitions, private equity, uh, private debt, uh, et cetera. So lots of different things uh, about 
our practice. And because senior living is such a huge part of our uh, our income statement, really, we take uh, a serious um, approach to research and uh, helping our clients be as strong as they can be. That, that just brings more capital to the space and benefits everyone. So that's really why uh, we do so much uh, research and speaking on strategy and things like sustainability that we're going to talk about today. Yes, and it's so important because we know um, senior living providers are more challenged than ever um, post-pandemic. And um, I, I think bouncing back a little bit, but I want to get your perspective on that today. And I hope so, because we know that we have this silver tsunami that has started with, you know, 10,000 people turning 65 every single day. We know that even if we built as fast as we could, um, that we wouldn't have enough senior living community space to um, accommodate all the folks who are going to need it um, over the next 20, 30 years. And um, we also know that we have an issue that um, the generation that's turning 65 today may not be as well prepared financially as the ones uh, before. They don't have pensions available to them. Um, we always have the future of Social Security in question. And so we have this middle market um, income um, a series of folks who are coming into our market who may not be able to afford the higher end of senior living, um, certainly aren't wouldn't qualify for the um, affordable housing. And so really where the, the vacancy or the uh, need for services is going to be is among those middle market. And we may have to serve those more through home and community-based services than communities. But altogether, we have a lot of issues in senior living. And so I'm so excited um, to talk to you today, Mary, because I do think that Ziegler is at the forefront of helping us all prepare uh, for how we can do our job even better going forward and serve this um, vast and growing community of folks. So, um, so I mentioned the senior living industry being faced with many challenges at the current time, and we can just name them off. Inflation, staff shortages, uh, we've had increasing salary rates and minimum wage um, legislation that's been put forth in many states and still happening. Uh, we're occupancy that is still recovering, although I think it's doing pretty well um, post-pandemic at this point. It did take a while. But what are some of the positive trends that are working in our favor today. Let's hear some positivity to start this discussion. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we always have the demographic wave that's that's going to really double the constituent base for our senior living providers. So that is uh, that demand increase is going to be huge. We're only serving 15% of seniors, 10%, depending on what source of research you look at. So uh, even if we don't increase market share at all, we'll need double the capacity. Uh, so that's a pretty exciting opportunity. Technology solutions are emerging that are really providing support for the labor crisis, uh, telehealth that's helping with uh, transportation for healthcare, cost for healthcare, um, robotic solutions that are not replacing people but are helping the labor force accomplish more like the bare robot servers for example that can bring plates out and you save the time of that server walking from the table back to the kitchen maybe they can do eight tables instead of four those kinds of things smart home solutions lots of interesting tech we're just starting to explore artificial intelligence and what that might look like or, or do for our industry 
We have higher interest rates, which may not sound like a positive. Um, it certainly makes projects more expensive, but it also allows you to earn money for a change on your investments, your foundation monies, your, uh, your equity, so to speak, in your business. And that certainly is helpful, as well as for those who are using bonds to finance new projects, you can actually make money on the bond proceeds while they're sitting in investment versus uh, having a, a big negative carry cost uh, at a, a zero percent earnings, essentially, which is where we have been. Wellness programs is also, programming is also broadening, and I think that that's, we're seeing some really exciting things in that space. But even one of the most interesting things I've seen is uh, some genetic research that's being done by Juniper communities to look at identifying chronic disease, uh, proclivity, and then managing that, intervening earlier with wellness programs before someone is uh, is really down with heart disease or diabetes, losing mobility and things like that. So some pretty fun um, and exciting um, innovation in that space. Yeah, I love that you focused on the innovation uh, that's coming and how that is such an opportunity for us as an industry. You know, there's so many <laughs> negative things that I started with in my question that uh, we fo we can focus on. But if we kind of turn the the hypothesis on its head and say, what's great about where we're at right now, and what are the possibilities? And um, I love the idea of focusing more on wellness because um, that. You know, besides providing the best place that someone can live and the peace of mind to their family that they're in great hands, if we can help them remain healthy and independent and active for longer in their lives because we have that expertise or we're doing genetic research that can um, pinpoint things that they can focus on, I think that that's really exciting for us as an industry as well. Absolutely. But it starts to set apart senior living providers from someone being at home, right? And that's really the big competition. So how do we provide more and more advantages to seniors who want to make that move early while they're healthy and, and really get benefits and, and lifestyle? Yes. And a follow-up question to that, because you mentioned um, staying at home, and we know that when we talk to seniors, all the statistics say, AARP says, you know, 90% of folks really want to remain in their home for as long as possible. And and to your point, that's the big competition for senior living, but um, are you seeing more and more senior living providers then really focusing on services that expand their mission outside their walls and serve that population that wants to stay at home? Yeah, great question. So one of the research publications we do is called the Leading Age Ziegler 200. We work together with Leading Age National on that, and we survey the largest multi-site and single-site and affordable housing organizations. Generally, we find about half at any point in time of those organizations that say they are growing or um, expanding existing home and community-based services, and about half just are not in that space. The CCRC Without Walls program um, never really grew to be very large in, in the country, but we do have a couple of providers out west here in my market that are, are looking at that or selling contracts with healthcare access and activity access to people who are going to stay in their homes but can come on campus and uh, eventually age onto campus after they're out of independent living. So I think that we'll see more 
innovation in that area as this technology savvy group of seniors comes forward. So the baby boomers are just hitting their mid-70s now. Most of them are pretty tech savvy. Uh, so, you know, there'll be ways, I think, to access uh, home and community-based services using technology as well that will uh, become more and more, will become more and more nimble with that. Yeah. And you mentioned um, continuing care at home or CCRC without walls. And um, as a strategy consultant, that's a lot of work that I do is helping um, startup organizations that work in that space. And I was really excited to learn that Texas um, just enacted legislation last year that allowed for those programs because some states limit the ability of providers to offer those programs. Um, so I, I understand now Texas is a state that is allowing that and um, that there's a pilot in California, which historically I think California had not allowed that. So um, I think we're going to see more of those continuing care at home programs, and it's a great way to serve the demand and to serve the middle market and um, to meet the needs of those people who do want to stay at home. So really excited to see that. Me too. I know, I know, we're both on the same page when it comes to that. Uh, so besides profitability, right, when we talk about sustainability, we think, okay, profitability, and yes, that's a big part of it, but what are, the, uh, what are other characteristics of sustainable senior living organizations? What do you want to see senior living organizations working on besides their profitability? Yeah, great question. So cash in the bank, clearly really important, not just what you're generating from operations this year, but do you have reserves? Uh, can you plan for ongoing capital projects that need to get done, even if you're in a tough year uh, because you've got the reserves? Uh, can you be upgrading your apartments when you need to, even if occupancy is lagging a bit? Um, so that's something that we love to see organizations at, at least hitting a couple hundred days cash on hand, if not more than that. Market position is really important. Who is your competition? What sort of pricing models do they have? What kinds of services do they have? How can you really differentiate yourself in your local market? Uh, ideally not landlocked. So if there's land around the campus, uh, then if there's a need to shift the business mix. For example, we had a lot of CCRCs 20 years ago that were way heavy in skilled nursing and maybe lighter in independent living that have needed to shift their business mix. If they have extra land where they could build more independent living and essentially write that pyramid, uh, that's a big advantage. Uh, located in an area that's demographically consistent with the, the labor that they need, the pricing, the services, where the housing market is stable is a big plus. Having a nimble board and leadership is something that we talked about a lot. So um, I tell you, I think term limits are really important. We get organizations that have longtime board members that sometimes just kind of lose track of innovation and, and the, the company needing to move in new directions. It's important to get new leadership with good expertise and to be able to react quickly when things are changing. When COVID hit, it was incredibly important that these communities move fast. Mm -hmm. PPP and uh, PPE in the doors get um, uh, get their skilled nursing units down to single rooms. Get infection control procedures in place. Uh, well, that sort of fast action is really needed 
in a lot of other ways as well as our industry is always changing. And management teams start that. They really need to be reactive and, and moving their boards along. Having alignment, too, among the constituents, whether that's residents, board members, management team, uh, getting everybody marching in one direction, believe it or not, often they are not. And we find that um, management and board are knocking heads or residents are being so disrupted that literally the organization can't get things done. Uh, so that can be a problem. Physical plant that hasn't been neglected is another area of important um, support for the mission and the profitability, sustainability of the organization. Because once you get really behind on uh, routine maintenance and expenditures for replacement, uh, not just growth and fancy amenity stuff, but uh, behind on the, the routine care of your physical plant, it can be really hard to catch up. Yeah, All those expenses mount up fast. Yes, I just um, a couple episodes ago I interviewed Dana Walschlager from Plant Moran uh, Living Forward. She does a lot of construction development, and uh, she shared a statistic that 60% of senior living assets are 20 years or older and um, haven't been reinvested in appropriately. So she shares the message that you just offered as well, which is let's make sure that we're constantly in reinvesting in the um, FF&E that we have <laughs> and making sure that it's up to date. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really important. So you mentioned a lot of things in there. And so um, with profitability, I mean, it's one thing to um, make a net income or have a positive NOI um, month after month, but we also need to be setting aside um, reserves for those capital projects, for the rainy days, for the reinvestment in our assets. Um, and do you feel like with um, all the challenges that senior living providers have had in the past couple of years that uh, maybe if they've, even if they've reached the stabilized occupancy and now are profitable, are they still struggling in the, in, you know, kind of holding that capital aside for the future? Some are, and I think part of that has been the big, misconception for uh, decades that not-for-profits don't need to make a profit or an excess margin, right? And we still have some organizations that solve for break-even or slightly negative margin, so there isn't a source to raise um, reserves other than fundraising. Mm -hmm. So it comes from operations or it comes from fundraising, but we can't go out and issue public equity in the marketplace. So I really encourage providers to drive the revenue side, occupancy and pricing, and aggressively drive the expense side, which is primarily dining and uh, labor and benefits. Mm -hmm. So if you can focus on those areas and work toward being above break even in your business model, if you're an entry fee community, at least break even before you get new turnover entry fees from dividends, then you'll have excess capital to raise those reserves. Yeah. And yeah. And in your um, presentation, when, when I saw you um, give a presentation on sustainability, and we actually had a great panel of folks there, you also referenced um, if you're in a, an entrance fee, CCRC, and uh, to really take a good look at your contracts. 
Um, and because sometimes when you're an older CCRC, um, you know, maybe you don't need the refundability provisions that you did earlier. And so it's really the balance of the contracts. And I had a, a financial expert on as well to say that's one of the first things he looks at when he's trying to diagnose the financial issues in a senior living uh, community is uh, what do the contracts look like and what's the balance of the different types of contracts. Um, you want to say anything about that as well? Absolutely. So that uh, that hits um, a couple of different areas. One is you can get service creep. So the contract may promise certain things, but over time you've been able giving more of those things without uh, going back and charging or reviewing the monthly fees. Uh, so that can be a problem. Uh, in older communities, I have found um, one of the helpful tactics for some has been to uh, gradually reduce the refundability of contracts and as you get uh, older, your physical plant's older, your apartments are older, uh, even if you're, you're renovating, it's not going to compare to a brand new community, moving toward a non-refundable entrance fee uh, versus a refundable, which can be 60 to 70 percent more expensive, can both make you, allow you to reduce your entrance fee but benefit the community even more with 100 percent of that new entrance fee being retained versus paying out refunds. So that's been a nice strategy for some folks that have really good quality but older communities that are, are feeling like they're a little overpriced on the entry fee side. Yeah, yeah, really good point. And one last plug for um, reviewing your contracts and your um, pricing. Uh, you know, the overall, the, you know, the scope of the contracts, as Mary just referenced, but then the pricing is um, one of the things that I found is that only about half of CCRCs um, do um, annual um, actuarial analysis and some are on three to five years some don't even follow that um, in Arizona for example we're required to have an actuarial analysis every three years and um, if you're not looking at your pricing um, and your contracts the overall structure some of the things Mary just mentioned every at least every couple of years you can really get behind you can get behind in, in inflationary times um, our, when I talked to Brad Paulus from Continuing Care Actuaries on the show, um, he expressed that with the inflation that we just had as people were trying to catch up with their, their entrance fees and their um, monthly fees, that they were having large monthly fee increases. And it was because they hadn't um, done kind of that regular cadence of looking at that, and they had to play a lot of catch up, um, and some doing two monthly fee increases in a year or so. Um, I think that's another important part is working with your actuary to make sure that the pricing of your contracts is what it needs to be as well. So Absolutely, and especially if you're a type A life care mm -hmm. because entrance fee is, in theory, is part of covering that future health care cost. So that really is an actuarial pricing uh, issue. Yeah, for sure. So if you were a senior living executive or on the board of a senior living organization, what are the red flags you would be watching for and that you would advise um, executives and board members to watch for? Yeah, one of the biggest ones, which we've really seen coming through COVID, is occupancy falling and not recovering. Mm -hmm. So we've had uh, got communities still who are having major occupancy issues. And at some point, it's no longer COVID, 
We have to figure out what, what is wrong systemically. Significant operating losses for more than uh, a year or two. Uh, all, all kinds of things can happen in a single year that may not be systemic issues, but if you've got a couple of years of pretty pronounced losses, um, it's probably time to take a, a deeper dive into that. If your financial resources, your cash reserves are dropping because you're covering operating losses, that's a, an indicator. If you're struggling to pay your folks competitively in your market, uh, that's a problem. And we've already got this labor shortage, and so if you can't keep up on minimum wage plus, virtually nobody's paying minimum wage that I don't do because it's not enough mm -hmm. to keep people. Uh, that's something to take a look at. And then, of course, if you're having to extend vendor payments, um, or you can't get financial statements produced, or you can't uh, upgrade your physical plant, those are all indicative of really having that immediate cash shortfall and a, a problem that needs to be addressed. Yeah, for sure. And I think our, one of our messages for today, I don't want to speak for you, so you, you give your own opinion on this, but um, we really hope that we see senior living providers act sooner than later on these red flags and warning signs um, because there are so many things, and we've just talked about a multitude of them, that can factor into the financial situation. And so sometimes when you're so close to it and in the weeds, you really could benefit from an exterior um, resource, an external resource, um, like a Mary, like um, you know, any kind of consultant that can help you um, dissect what's going on and um, help to uh, figure out the action plan to move forward. Absolutely, yeah, and, and we don't charge, and we're working with clients, we don't charge, call and ask us questions, it's not, nobody's going to be nickel and diming you. I know it's tough to think about hiring consultants if you're under financial pressure, but sometimes, uh, as, um, as Jennifer's pointing out, it can really mean the difference in success and failure to get someone in with a third eye uh, on things who can give you some independent feedback on policies, pricing, services that you're offering, uh, ways to streamline staffing, things like that. Mm -hmm. So I, I would definitely take advantage of bringing someone in if you think that there's a serious problem that, that you really can't find a way to solve easily. Um, yeah, for sure. We, um, and we talked about, so um, our goal is really to get action sooner than later and ask for the expertise that might be needed. So if someone's in the situation, they're recognizing some of the warning signs that you've referenced, um, what would you, what would be kind of the first three steps that you would recommend that they take? So doing the, the analysis to figure out what's wrong is, is really important, whether that's an outside consultant, whether that's your CFO, your chief operating officer, but really digging into the underlying source, uh, the business. You may have too many sniff beds or too many AL beds, for example, if you're having occupancy issues and those levels of care. Uh, your your payer mix may be really skewed and, and need some work. Um, you may need a third-party manager to come in or um, think about affiliation or partnership with other organizations in your uh, immediate area. Uh, there might be ways to bring in new revenue sources into the business uh, through partnership or through development of new services that might not be very costly for you uh, to develop. The biggest thing is to act right. and act 
early as you can when you're seeing the warning signs. Yeah, great, great, great advice, please. <laughs> okay, so we've mentioned boards a few times and um, I do a lot of governance work. I know you work with a lot of boards at well, as well. What questions should a board member be asking to ensure the organizational, the organization's sustainability? Well, first, every board should be getting a really good dashboard from their CFO. I think a picture is worth a thousand words personally. So the ones that I've seen that I love are one page or two pages. And you can see the trend in operating margin, cash on cash. You can see the trend in debt service coverage. You can see the trend in liquidity, days cash on hand. Uh, but get used to what the measures are of profitability and watch those trends and ask questions early if things are trending in a negative direction. Request as much detail as you need. The CFO should be able to provide that. Ask your marketing folks when they come to a board meeting, why do people say no? How many, you're meeting with people all the time. Why do they not move in here? And why do they go elsewhere? And if you don't, if the marketing person doesn't know, they need to be doing some questioning around that. Ask your management team what keeps them up at night. I mean, that's a great way to just find out the hot buttons that are on their minds. What are you doing to attract and retain employees? Those are really important strategies. I like to ask my CEOs when I give presentations, can you pull up your job application on your smartphone? And if you were a housekeeper sitting at a bus stop because you need to ride an hour home, you can't afford to live near the community, could you fill out an application in 10 or 15 minutes while you're sitting at the bus stop? Could you set up an interview over text message? You've got to be nimble and responsive to today's environment to, uh, to touch more employees and potential employees. And ask your management team, what do you think is the key to our future success? What's your vision on the ground team for who we can be in our marketplace and how we should get there and how can the board support you? Yeah, great questions, great questions. And I love that you brought up a dashboard because I too am a fan of dashboards. And I had the pleasure of interviewing uh, Sherry Pfeiffer from Escaton, and um, she's um, a strategist turned president and CEO, um, which I love, and she brings a lot of strategy to her work anyway. But one of the things that she mentioned is that's how she keeps her board up to date on, on everything that's happening, and it's through a series of da uh, dashboards. So she has a financial dashboard, a customer service dashboard, a quality dashboard, a strategic dashboard, strategic planning that shows how they're doing on their strategic plan. Um, I believe they also have one that's operational that includes some of those workforce um, stats that you were saying. And um, I didn't get the impression that they were, I think they were all just snapshots to your point. I mean, one page, probably a piece or maybe half a page, but really would keep the board um, up to date on everything that's going on. And here's the other thing that we talked a lot about in the panel presentation that you facilitated at Leading Age California is hard discussions, having the hard discussions when something isn't going well, um, being willing and able to be vulnerable and discuss what do we need to do different at the board level and to also have the discipline to make hard decisions. And you mentioned, you know, um, maybe as an industry we're used to um, having a slightly negative margin because, you know, we're serving our mission 
maybe that's not appropriate anymore. Maybe we need to, you know, take a hard look at services and say we're not willing or able to lose money and be sustainable in the future. Um, do you agree? You heard, I mean, that was a key message that yeah. came out of that session that you facilitated, right? It was, and, um, you know, there occasionally are unique situations. I had a client years ago that had an endowment from the family who originally founded the community, and it put off X amount of income every single year, and it was a consistent source, and the corpus of the investment was protected. I think that's a case where it's perfectly fine to say that income is cash income from operations and we can literally price our services lower because we have that uh, coming in but that is an unusual situation it's it's typically much more variable to get income from outside sources and we have to count on the monthly fees and entrance fees if you have those to really fund the bottom line and we've got to have the reserve sure with the occupancies off so if you're tackling uh, occupancy and pricing on the revenue side, labor and dining on the expense side, you've got the equation there. It's not that complex. Yeah, good points, good points. Let's just um, talk a little bit more about revenue and expenses because when we, um, in your presentation that I saw, I saw that you highlighted some revenue, maybe hidden revenue opportunities uh, for organizations. So um, if you're not thinking about what Mary's um, about to talk about, uh, maybe you should take a look. So what do you think are some things communities should look at? Yeah, we touched on home and community-based services. If there's an opportunity you feel is realistic in your market and you're not providing that, uh, maybe somebody else is and you could partner with them or maybe it's something that you want to develop or acquire. Uh, so, so looking at feasibility of um, new business lines in your marketplace. If you don't have an in-house plan for apartment turnovers, that's a place where if you can get down to a 30-day turn or a 60-day turn, maybe have your in-house uh, facilities person uh, really sharpen up on that, that is worth money, that's worth dollars. Um, Working on your wait list, of course, is uh, is really important. There are some tech companies like OnShift helping create more expense uh, management, better expense management in skilled nursing, for example, or in assisted living by helping make the shift planning a lot more efficient mm -hmm. and minimizing the, the cost of bringing multiple people in and uh, agency in them to fulfill uh, empty spots. Building a volunteer staff, we're starting to see more uh, multi-generational communities being developed by organizations who are partly looking for volunteer staff to come in, uh, as well as multi-generational programming and uh, sometimes workforce living in those multi-generational communities. We talked about scope creep. I think keeping an eye on what you're providing to residents. I know there were some extras during COVID, for example, meal delivery, uh, prepackaged meals that was necessary for infection control when dining rooms were closed. But do you continue to do that, or do you start charging if you're if you're doing that and people are still demanding it? So watching out for that scope creep and also benefit creep on the employee side uh, as well. Um, don't leave money on the table, so keep your entrance fees and monthly fees. You want to keep up with uh, what's happening in your marketplace. 
One of the most creative additional revenue sources I heard about just the other day was a community that is leasing out their kitchen overnight to a ghost kitchen. So the kitchen's been empty starting at you know, 8 at night, best job ever for a chef. Um, so leasing that kitchen out overnight, and then this community has actually bought a food truck, and they are working with Uber Eats to get their daytime meals from the community into Uber Eats. So they can create name recognition and meal sale revenue plus the lease revenue overnight from the kitchen to enhance operations and also maybe enhance referrals from the neighborhood. So that was a really creative thinking um, opportunity out of the box. I like that. And I heard you um, in one of your talks also, this isn't um, necessarily a revenue opportunity, but um, a great um, opportunity to perhaps reduce turnover or increase your worker engagement was um, that a community that you worked with allowed their um, staff to um, purchase take-home meals um, from the kitchen so that, you know, if they were riding the bus an hour home, they would have dinner with them when they got there. And I thought that was a great um, opportunity to, to serve our workforce as well. I think so. I think having flexible benefit plans, um, you know, every generation wants something different. So we have kids under 25, 26, who can be on their parents' health insurance and may not care at all about health insurance, but they may care a lot about uh, PTO or tuition reimbursement. We may have housekeepers living an hour away who really care a lot about a hot, healthy meal for the family that they could bring home. So even including that in, in employee benefits or allowing employees to shop for benefits uh, can be powerful. Somebody the other day told me that they have a great health insurance plan, but they're finding fewer than half their workforce taking advantage of it. Yeah. So maybe they all have a spouse who's got health care or they're on their parents' health care, but what are we offering them instead? Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I think that's, um, I, I think that statistic is one that uh, was similar when I was uh, working for a provider that was very low uptake on the health insurance. Um, okay, so let's just uh, wrap up talking about expenses. Um, so you mentioned, you know, the two expenses that um, have the largest capability to potentially be managed are labor and uh, dining. Um, what other strategies or ideas do you have for us to decrease expenses? Yeah, so do RFPs. I mean, check on your therapy provider, for example, in skilled nursing. Are, are you getting the best deal that you can there? Should you outsource your food service if you're doing it in-house? Would it be cheaper? Should you bring it back in-house if you're outsourcing? Do that analysis to see uh, what's going to be the best deal. Um, consider pricing adjustments, dynamic pricing where you can when the market is moving. So some real estate markets are more stable than others. In Phoenix, we tend to have a lot of cyclical real estate markets. And when the recession hit, I had clients whose new entrance fees were lower than the, the partial refund they owed to a prior resident. It just uh, was a tough uh, problem to manage. So being aware of where the, the market is for housing uh, entrance fees and monthly fees is um, really important. Uh, robots, exploring where you could use if you want, haven't used the bare robot servers, um, considering those, um, mail delivery, 
uh, things like that. Um, there are robots that are being trained to, to go up and deliver meals to apartments. So we've got communities that are using some of those around the fringes. It's still fairly limited, and it's mostly those robot servers. Uh, but I expect that we'll start to see some other kinds of things. I, I tried out a robot the other day at a conference called the Hug, Hug Robot from Fuji Labs uh, that actually lifts you and then transports you and can then let you back down the set. So think about toileting somebody that's really heavy that a caregiver might hurt their back or something like that. So you're looking then at the wellness of your workforce as well as the efficiency um, and the dignity really of how a, a resident could be treated. Um, and then that flexible benefits that we just talked about, I think that that's a real cornerstone for workforce retention today. Um, pet insurance, and my company offered pet insurance for the first time, and that's something that I can resonate with folks. So backing up and thinking about your key expenses, are you shopping for the best deals, are you thinking creatively about how you can really engage and retain that workforce, those are our keys for today. Yeah, really good um, advice, especially on uh, shopping and not being afraid to do, you know, RFPs. I know it's a bit of work, but, um, you know, we, I think in senior living, um, have been somewhat resistant to change. You know, sometimes when we do things and they work, we don't want to upset the apple cart, but um, we really need to be um, really strong consumers and demand uh, the best of our vendors. And the only way to really know what's out there, and they're changing all the time. You mentioned the technology in particular. Oh my gosh. So, uh, it behooves us to always be out there and searching for, Are we? do we have the best vendors in place, best partners? Right. Did you, uh, just, you mentioned robots a couple of times, um, and I wondered, I saw an article, it was um, in, in a local paper, but it was about a small town that uh, a restaurant had um, gotten those uh, a robot to help with serving. And um, the community was up in arms because we were taking jobs away from, you know, the labor, you know, and then people need jobs. And what are you doing? Have you had any, have you heard of any backlash? I think I haven't heard of that in senior living, but I just wondered if you'd heard any. I haven't. Uh, in fact, in most of the communities, what I hear is the residents are naming the robots. Mm -hmm. And so they've, you know, Clara comes out of the kitchen and they all are like, here comes Clara to bring our plates or whatever it might be. So uh, I've actually heard really positive things uh, about them. And it's uh, limited use, of course, and yeah. um, maybe you know, future issues. But uh, I have not heard any with those server robots. I think the other things are going to be slower, slower to come, and maybe slower acceptance too by yeah. seniors. I guess we'll we'll have to see. Yeah, I'm waiting for the caregiver robot and how that's going to be. <laughs> yeah, coming toward you. <laughs> right, I'm going to lift you. The one in Japan that scoops people up and holds them is pretty. Uh, I, a lot of people probably wouldn't be very comfortable with that. Right, right, right. Yep. Um, so as we wrap up, Mary, you have a great resource that you're offering um, to anyone who wants it, and it's a checklist that you have um, developed to help providers be proactive um, on all of the issues that we've talked about today, their resident experience, how they're treating their team members, um, their growth, their financial health. and um, 
I just flipped it past the screen. But um, it's something that we will link in the show notes below, but um, it's being made available by Ziegler. So thank you for that. I think it's a great resource. And it's just a self-assessment. It's a way for you to kind of say, oh, maybe I should take a look at this, you know, because I didn't check it or I checked that I have an issue with it. Um, and as we wrap, Mary, how, how can listeners get in touch with you? I am easy to find on the Ziegler website, which is www.ziegler.com. You can click on my uh, bio and get right to me, or it's mmunoz at ziegler.com. And uh, thank you so much for having me today, Jennifer. It's been really fun. Oh, thank you. And um, I love talking about these topics with you. I, I kind of nerd out with you every time I see you about <laughs> um, all of these <laughs> topics since we, we serve in a bit of a similar space, although um, you, you are just such a resource for senior living providers. And again, when I was in a provider organization, we, we looked at creative financing, creative refinancing, and um, the Ziegler team was such... A great resource for us um, and and got us to a really good place so um, if anybody's looking at um, those needs having those needs I would absolutely recommend that you reach out to Ziegler so thank you thank you again so I'm Jennifer Drago you've been listening to senior living visionaries podcast and radio show where we explore cutting-edge ideas and breakthroughs that are shaping the future of the senior living industry I hope that you'll subscribe to be notified each time an episode drops, and you can do that at SeniorLivingVisionaries.com. Thank you for listening. See you next time. You've been listening to the Senior Living Visionaries podcast and radio show, where we showcase the leaders and innovators in the industry who are pushing the boundaries and setting the stage for the future in senior living and services. Join us next time as we share the bold ideas and breakthroughs of the industry's most forward-thinking leaders here on Senior Living Visionaries. You've been listening to the Senior Living Visionaries podcast and radio show where we showcase the leaders and innovators in the industry who are pushing the boundaries and setting the stage for the future in senior living and services. Join us next time as we share the bold ideas and breakthroughs of the industry's most forward-thinking leaders here on Senior Living Visionaries.